so yesterday, my, my bare arms joke really upset a lot of you, which, uh, which brought me a lot of joy. So I, <laughs> so I was trying to figure out how going into the weekend I, I could up my game. And I figured the way that I would do that is I would try a trend that disgusted me when I saw it, but also had me intrigued. A bunch of people on TikTok are trying watermelon with mustard for the first time, and I was like, okay, let's try it. They always put like a weird amount of it. What? I'm sorry for this sound. I took too little of a bite. Oh, bitch. <laughs> it's not a joke. All right. I don't like that taste good. It feels wrong. I feel dirty. I feel like I need to go to confession for the first time in 25 years. Sup, you beautiful bastards. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. Hit that like button to support the video. Hit that subscribe button for your chance to win $5,000 at the end of the month. And let's just jump into it. The first thing that we're gonna talk about today, it's kind of a quickie. Also, maybe something that in the past I would have included in that today, an awesome segment, but also it feels like there's more to it and I wanna speak on it. Let's talk about Bo Burnham. If you haven't seen, he released his first comedy special in five years on Netflix over the weekend. It is called Inside. and. Personally, I think it is amazing. That said, if over the past year and a half, you are not someone that, that can identify with, I had mental struggles and it brought me to a very dark place, you might not connect to it as much, but for me, and obviously I'm very biased here, I've been a big fan of Bo Burnham since I met him at YouTube Live. Actually, I mean, even before that, I was very excited to meet him there because his stuff was awesome. I genuinely believe that he is a generational talent and for me, this special kind of solidified that. So yeah, that's my quickie review, reaction and recommendation with the asterisk that that it's not going to be for everyone, but for the people that it is for, you're gonna love it. And if you're anything like me, I, I often kind of keep stuff deep inside. I, I compartmentalize it. It might help you organize and process a lot of things that you've experienced and, and, and felt, but it hasn't fully bubbled to the surface. It, it uh, I don't want to overhype it, but also at the same time, Bo, if you come across this video, Thank you so much for making this. Also, and I think I speak for a lot of fans here, I hope that you are well. But also, for the rest of you beautiful bastards, if you've already watched a special or if you, you watch it after this video and you come back, I would love to know your thoughts on it. Also, if you have a favorite or most notable part, my, my favorite's probably the uh, the song that, that he does with 15 minutes left. Then we're seeing reports that the NFT market is a bubble and one that we've already seen pop. Places like Protos reporting that NFTs peaked on May 3rd when $102 million worth were sold in a single day with $170 million and NFT transactions in a seven day period, but then analyzing the data and finding that in all of last week, it was only 19.4 million. So you're talking about a near 90% drop over the course of a month. On top of that, the number of NFT wallets showing signs of daily activity is down 70% since May's record high of 12,000 to just now 3,900. As of right now, we're also seeing crypto art fall rather hard with so-called metaverse NFTs, those kind of linked to digital real estate and other virtual artifacts outselling art $3.3 million to 3 million. So, it should be noted, collectibles have proven to be the most resilient form of NFTs with nearly half of the past week's $19.4 million being made up through the collectible sales. Now, all of that said, it should still be noted that there are still a lot of people that do believe that the market has life in it. Right, but a lot of that focus, yes, there, there is a mindset of collectibles, but there's also utility. Right, if NFTs can be tied to real world objects or experiences. I think, for example, what people like Gary Vaynerchuk are doing in the space, he launched VFriends. It's very interesting. I'm not gonna throw money at it, but it's very interesting. With a number of his NFTs, yes, being something you could buy and it can be a collectible, but it also has the utility of you actually being able to go to a conference that he holds because you are a holder of that NFT. Maybe you go this year, there's a lot of hype behind the event. You're like, I don't wanna go next year. I wanna maybe make some money. You sell it. But ultimately the market will decide what the market decides. And 
I don't know how you predict the market at this point. I don't mean just in the crypto space. I mean, hell, look at the stock market right now. Meme stocks are outperforming everything. Granted, there's inherent volatility there, but there are a lot of people making a lot of money. There's a lot of people losing a lot of money. So I really think it makes predicting anything at this point incredibly hard. And actually, I mean, regarding one of the biggest benefactors of this meme market, we should talk about AMC. It soared to an all-time high yesterday. This is a stock that had a value of about $2 in January. But this morning, the company opted to sell over 11 million shares, sending the stock back down over 30%, but then it's up, it's down, it's all crazy. But I mean, you even have AMC warning to not invest in this class A stock unless you were willing to lose a significant portion or potentially all of your money. With this, you also have AMC explaining, our current market prices reflect market and trading dynamics unrelated to our underlying business. But also this comes as AMC is really trying to take advantage of what they have right now, both in raising money as well as leaning into the kind of mean and retail stock investor side. Announcing yesterday that it would be launching AMC Investor Connect with the company releasing a statement saying, over the last several months, AMC has seen its retail shareholder base grow beyond 3 million owners. And saying that this platform would put AMC in direct communication with its extraordinary base of enthusiastic and passionate individual shareholders to keep them up to date about important company information and to provide them with special offers. With the first perk being a free large popcorn when investors attend their first AMC movie this summer. Something that they will immediately make back plus more with the rest of your order. But also there are other benefits which uh, yes, right now are vaguer with the announcement listing exclusive promotions and discounts and invitations to special screenings, as well as communications from the CEO and other interesting information about the company and industry. Also, this story actually brings us to another interesting piece of news, and that is what is happening with the movie industry. And the answer is actually for the first time in a while, pretty okay. Memorial Day weekend proved to be a crucial success for the box office as it's been struggling amid the pandemic, bringing in nearly $100 million in total, with the biggest winner being A Quiet Place 2, which crushed pandemic records by making $57 million over the weekend, even out earning the opening weekend of the original A Quiet Place. John Krasinski, who wrote and directed the movie, also getting a lot of credit here. He's been very vocal about waiting to release the movie until it could be seen in theaters by groups of people. Also surprising fans at various theaters across the country, thanking them for coming out, encouraging others to come out as well. You also had Cruella starring Emma Stone bringing in $27 million, which you could think is bad for a Disney movie, but you also have to keep in mind those are not the full numbers, right? Audiences have the choice to either go to the theater to watch this or just rent it on Disney Plus for $30. But overall here, if, if there's a headline you can kind of take away from this, box office analysts are saying this is overall looking very promising. Then, in business news, let's talk about YouTube versus TikTok. So as I've covered on the show before, there is an event taking place in Florida on June 12th called YouTubers versus TikTokers. Bunch of big names going down to Miami, gonna hit each other with some padded gloves, pad their bank accounts. But something has come up. According to insider ByteDance, which is the parent company of TikTok, they have asked Live by Live, the streaming platform behind the fight, to delete all promotions of the fight. With the cease and desist email noting that the group uses TikTok's trademark without permission and that the event is COVID unsafe and violent in nature. And continuing, the event is likely to mislead the public that it was endorsed by TikTok and put the company's reputation under risk. That said, as far as the other side of this, the legal team for the event reportedly said to Insider that they reached out to TikTok regarding the cease and desist and added that ByteDance is asking for the event to be canceled and adding this event celebrates the global appeal of these creators and platforms and the excitement for this new form of entertainment, which is here to stay. And then as far as YouTube, whose company's likeness is also being used in the event, they uh, seem to not actually care with YouTube telling Insider that it is common for people to be referred to as YouTubers in events not associated with the platform. Marching even further in the opposite direction of TikTok saying that the company is inspired to see the way that creators build businesses both on and off YouTube. But yeah, that said, and it's kind of just a connected story, it does appear that influencer boxing is here here to stay unless the, this YouTubers versus TikTokers event is a complete shit show. And right? I don't mean to say that uh, the Jake Paul, Logan Paul, KSI stuff like that is not legit. Like they 
bust through that door. But as far as if this will continue being a successful thing in their wake, right, will more people go through that door? We have to see because they could be outliers. Though it appears that there is no shortage of influencers trying to get a quick bag. We've seen the likes of Tana Mojo challenging Bella Thorne to a fight last month. We've even recently seen messages that appear to show Gabby, Hannah, and Rice Gum talking about a potential fight. Hey, I guess it's become a very lucrative strategy to take the people that hate you and make money off of them. Like, I mean, think about it. How many of you are going to buy the Floyd Mayweather, Logan Paul fight or uh, the Tyron Woodley, uh, Jake Paul fight because you're hoping that you're going to see a YouTuber essentially get publicly executed? And from that, I want to take a second to thank the sponsor of today's show, Manscaped.com. When it comes to men's grooming and hygiene, you always want the right tools for the job, and that is where Manscaped comes in. For the bold and daring, the prefer to go bare down there. Manscaped has introduced their ultra smooth package because of course that's what they called it. I'm just half expecting the next new product that they released to be called D's. But uh, this package, this kit, involves an easy three-step shaving system to help you buff, protect, and smooth your most sensitive areas with confidence. The crop exfoliator exfoliates the area and preemptively helps reduce ingrown hairs. The crop gel is a unique clear shaving gel that actually allows you to see what you're shaving. And honestly, their new crop shaver is the perfectly engineered groin shaver that has three precision blades with extra wide lubricate strips and a pivoting head for the best shave at any angle. And fantastically, all of these products are vegan and sulfate paraben free. The Ultra Smooth Package also gets six replacement blades for your crop shaver and a convenient storage case for easy travel. So for all you smooth <laughs> operators out there, go check out Manscaped's Ultra Smooth Package and get 20% off plus free international shipping when you go to manscaped.com slash fill. And then let's talk about this news involving Paxton Smith. And likely almost all of you don't know who she is or at least did not know who she was until this week. But all of that changed this week because Paxton, who is this year's valedictorian at Lake Highlands High School in Dallas, Texas, went viral. And this because after previously submitting a speech to school officials, she decided to just throw it away and instead used her time to go after the state's heartbeat bill, which Governor Greg Abbott recently signed. Right, and that bill will be going into effect in September. It bans any abortion after a fetal heartbeat can be detected, which can actually happen as early as six weeks after conception when many women aren't even aware that they are pregnant. With the law also notably making no exceptions for rape or incest, only medical emergencies. With it also allowing anyone to sue an abortion provider for as much as $10,000 along with anyone else who helps someone get an abortion. And so that is why we saw Paxton say this in her speech. I have dreams and hopes and ambitions. Every girl graduating today does. And we have spent our entire lives working towards our future. And without our input and without our consent, our control over that future has been stripped away from us. I am terrified that if my contraceptives fail, I am terrified that if I am raped, then my hopes and aspirations and dreams and efforts for my future will no longer matter. I hope that you can feel how gut-wrenching that is. I hope you can feel how dehumanizing it is to have the autonomy over your own body taken away from you. You know, following this speech, we kind of saw two things happen. One, the, the school was less than enthusiastic about what she did and issued a statement saying that it would review student speech protocols in advance of next year's ceremony. Also saying that the content in student speeches do not reflect the position of the district or its employees. But also, since the video has gone viral, it's spread, she has received a ton of praise. But the general kind of consensus of that praise being that people are hopeful for our future if we have smart 
people, these smart young people who are so outspoken and so passionate. Then, let's talk about the NFL and a headline I had to read several times to be like, is this real? Right, so yesterday, in 2021, the NFL pledged to halt a practice in which it assumed that black players have lower cognitive function than white players. It's a practice known as race norming. It was actually adopted back in the 90s in the hopes of offering more appropriate treatment to retirees who developed dementia. Right, essentially, the, the thought process here was to take socioeconomic factors into account since black people come from disadvantaged communities at higher rates. Right, and so what we would see with the NFL is when claiming that they had sustained brain injuries, the players' cognitive test scores would then be adjusted within their own race or ethnicity. But their critics have long said that the small sample size of black people used to develop this practice didn't actually represent the whole of the black community. And as far as why this is news now and then the reason that the NFL is just now saying that it'll stop the practice is because it actually makes it harder for black retirees to show that they have sustained brain injuries thus making it harder for them to qualify for compensation the thing is as far as like a retired black player not qualifying it's not a hypothetical situation it's something that we've actually seen happen in fact in a billion dollar brain injury settlement the NFL used a scoring algorithm that assumed black men start with lower cognitive skills and because of that Haven Henry and Jay Davenport were denied compensation even though they would have qualified if they were white right and so we ended up seeing is that backed by a 50,000 person petition, uh, which included signatures from other retirees and their families, the two filed a civil rights lawsuit against race norming. And what happens is that case actually gets thrown out of district court, but we later see the judge ask for a report on the problem. So with the pressure there for a report plus the petition, the NFL said that those factors convinced them to end race norming, with the NFL now proposing new testing, which will partially be developed by black doctors. And while the league released a statement saying that race norming was initially adopted, quote, to stop bias and testing not perpetrated, it also argued that it never required doctors to actually use the practice. However, while technically true, that statement has gotten a lot of pushback since the NFL actually ended up appealing the claims of some black retirees who had gotten cognitive tests and didn't have their scores adjusted. Which is very likely why you have retirees who are incredibly skeptical, including one player by the name of Ken Jenkins who said, words are cheap, let's see what they do. And then we should definitely talk about this really shocking news coming out of Israel. We've been covering this election drama there since 2019. It's been election after election, failed government after failed government, and then boom, just last night, a group of Israeli opposition leaders announced that they had reached an agreement to form a coalition government and oust Netanyahu, the country's longest serving prime minister. Now with this, there are a lot of moving pieces. There are a ton of intricacies that we're not gonna be able to dive into, but uh, let's try and break it down at least at, at the very top level. First off, let's talk about what this coalition government will look like. It is so different. As of right now, the group is composed of eight political parties from the hard right, the left, the center, one Arab party. And if that sounds like a weirder mashup than watermelon mustard, uh, that's because it is. This is a mission mash of ideologies. Right, you'd expect a kind of a more logical coalition being composed of the parties on the right, but that could not be formed without Netanyahu's Likud party, which is the largest of the conservative parties by far. But now you have a situation where many of Netanyahu's previous allies, led by the hard right leader Naftali Bennett, who previously served as Netanyahu's chief of staff, have abandoned him in favor of this new complicated coalition. Right, this is massive and unexpected. As the, the New York Times explains, I, I think it's a great analogy. It would be akin to Mitch McConnell abandoning Donald Trump to work with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Chuck Schumer and both of them saying yes. And that felt like kind of the perfect analogy because just think of how significant that would be. Yes, Mitch McConnell, he said some words, but look at how he's voted and look at how he's moving moving forward. And that's after what happened on January 6th. Like that, that makes you realize also how fucking crazy everything is here. But also it, it is significant because I mean, think if McConnell did try to work with Dems, think of how 
they would have these major differences. You know, the same is true for Israel. If the deal is finalized, it would form a government of political opposites that agree on very little beyond one, getting rid of Netanyahu, and two, just having some sort of normalcy after two years of failed elections. Which is also why there's been a big conversation of how the power would be divided up. Under the agreement, Bennett would serve as prime minister for two years, and after that, the center-left opposition leader, Yair Lapid, would take the position. Also, in order to keep their tentative coalition together, the two leaders have promised to focus on areas where the diverse groups could actually compromise at the beginning such as education, infrastructure, and avoid divisive issues. Right, divisive issues like uh, new policies on Israeli-Palestinian relations. Right there, the the views of these eight parties range from religion-centered advocates of Jewish settlements in the West Bank to secular leaders who would support an independent Palestinian state. Which uh, I think also highlights how despised Netanyahu is to some people. The fact that these coalitions are saying, we will put that on the back burner to get rid of this guy. Which is why this coalition staying together and working, it's a tall order, it's gonna be tenuous. In fact, I mean, there is of course a chance that it's all gonna fall apart before it even comes together officially. Right, because nothing is actually set in stone yet. While the opposition leaders have outlined a deal, before the coalition can take over as the new government, it still needs to win a vote of confidence in Israel's parliament, the Knesset. And that actually creates a very precarious situation because as of right now, if a deal is made, the new group would hold just 61 seats in Israel's 120 seat parliament, the barest of bare majorities. Right, if we just see one person defect from this plan, I mean, the, the whole thing could fall apart and pave the way for a fifth election. And that is something that Netanyahu and his remaining allies plan to capitalize on. The Speaker of the Parliament is an ally of Netanyahu, and he is expected to use parliamentary procedure to delay the vote by at least 12 days. And with that extra time, Netanyahu would have the chance to lobby and pressure party members. And already, we've seen him doing this, making it clear that he intends to fight on launching a full-blown campaign against the coalition, taking to Twitter to list the concessions that he claimed the right and center parties made to gain the Arab party's support and writing. All right-wing Knesset members must oppose this dangerous left-wing government. And as for whether or not his pressure campaign will work. I mean, a lot of it comes down to a cost-benefit analysis of whether the coalition is worth the risk. Well, many leaders are obviously uncomfortable working with each other and have made serious compromises to even get to this place. The alternative is another election cycle during which Netanyahu would keep power, a situation that has resulted in history repeating itself over and over again for the last two years. But ultimately, you know, with this story or honestly anything else that stood out to you today, I'd love to know your thoughts because this is the end of today's show. As always, thank you for being a part of the family. Watching the videos, like and subscribe and all the good stuff. And if you're looking for more to watch, I get covered right here. But with that said, of course, as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you next time.